to welcome everybody this morning. We appreciate the great crowd we have and all the kids we have up here. And uh, I was thinking, uh, uh, I, my kids are a little more self-sufficient now, but I remember when they were little, it's uh, quite an effort to get them here sometimes for Sunday school. But I appreciate everybody that makes that effort. Um, I feel it's so important to, uh, I guess, make it a habit um, and not really leave a question. Um, your kids know it's church time. You know they know you're coming to Sunday school and you're coming to church. Um, you know, just make it a habit for them, and um, you know sometimes uh, life will throw you a curveball or something will conflict and you can't be here. But for the most part, just uh, I just think that's very important in a household to know that when it's church time, your family and your kids know you're going to church. So uh, we look forward to having a great day in the Lord and. Again, I appreciate everybody making an effort to be here at Sunday school, and uh, I'm asking Brother Saul to dismiss the Sunday school. Good to see everybody this morning. Pretty day out. We're going to be in the second book of Luke. Everybody turn to the second book of Luke. See everybody flipping through. That's also known as the Acts of the Apostles. So maybe that's a more common name. So I always try to start off with who wrote this book. Uh, it's not 100%, but I'm pretty confident. Most of the scholars believe that Acts was written by Luke. The book of Luke goes right up through uh, the ascension of Christ, and then Acts picks up right after that. They're written pretty much the same. Uh, and so it, it, it 
it's pretty well believed that the Acts of the Apostles was written by Luke. The audience of who, uh, which there, there was a person that I really don't know, I think the name is Theopolis maybe, uh, that uh, Luke was written to uh, or kind of addressed to and Acts is uh, the same way. Don't really know who that is or why exactly that it was written. A lot of different theories on why uh, the book of Acts was written, but certainly it's a great uh, chronology and tells a lot of the things that the apostles did through this time period, uh, which uh, are really, you know, can be very helpful to us. And so um, we're gonna be in chapter two today. Uh, one of the most, this chapter uh, really above uh, our lesson and then kind of include some of our lesson one of the most famous uh, days uh, of the church and, and some things that happened here and so we're going to be talking about the day of Pentecost um, and some things that were said and some things that happened on that day and so uh, the lesson uh, is, is titled praise for salvation and this whole this number of lessons here about praise and our lesson actually starts down toward the bottom of this chapter, but I'm going to read a few verses up uh, in, in the beginning of this chapter. So uh, the day of Pentecost, uh, this wasn't the first time that the, the day of Pentecost is discussed or the, the feast of Pentecost, which is really what, what was going on here. Uh, there's a feast back in the 23rd chapter of Leviticus that's spelled out and talks about uh, the feast of the day of Pentecost. And Pentecost means 50, so it would be uh, seven weeks uh, plus uh, one day. Uh, that'd be 50 days. Or uh, back in, in Leviticus, it was seven years plus one year. Uh, and, and so there was some different things about the day of Pentecost. But in the commentary, it was pretty interesting on the day of the Feast of Pentecost, uh, the Jews would come from all over to Jerusalem, and it was because of the weather, it was the best attended uh, of the feasts normally. Uh, and they, it would happen at a time of the year when the weather was good. And so um, the day of Pentecost is taking place here, and um, all these people are gathered in, and, but this year, something unusual had happened really close to this. It had actually been uh, 10 days since the ascension of Christ, and it had been 50 days since he rose. So the day of Pentecost takes on special meaning this year. The church, all the apostles are gathered together and... Christ had told them, the Comforter's going to come. You're going to get direction from on high. But they've been together praying for that and waiting for the Spirit to direct them and what they should do. And so from this perspective, it's, it's a lot like when our church uh, is getting ready for revival and we're praying and we're waiting and we've got you know, this date set out here where the, you know, the preacher's going to come and we're going to have revival uh, the apostles were waiting and they were anxious and they knew something was getting ready to happen um, and they were getting ready for this day. So everybody gathers in and the spirit moves on the apostles and they realize that today is the day and, and, 
and they had a message to deliver. And so that kind of leads us to where we're at in, in this lesson. So, uh, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to go through the whole chapter. Our lesson is kind of down at the, at the bottom. But why don't we pick up uh, on uh, verse 14. Uh, let me get my glasses here. So the spirit had started moving and, and, and there was some things going on here. Uh, but verse 14, but Peter standing up with the 11, so the 11 other apostles uh, lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of G Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. So he kind of gets their attention. The spirit's moving and, and people are wondering kind of what's going on. But Peter stands up. Pretty interesting that it's Peter to me. It's always been, uh, it's always been almost miraculous to me. So it, I don't know if it was the last time I taught or maybe the time before, but we talked about uh, this was after Christ had risen and he had seen the apostles, but they got discouraged and Peter said, I'm going fishing, all right? And uh, Jesse Buell was here and preached a few years back, and he, he brought up a point that I didn't know, but he said the language that Peter used when he said, I'm going fishing, wasn't, hey, I'm going fishing today. Like if I said, hey, I'm going to get my pole and go out and go fishing. He was saying, I'm going back to going fishing because that's what Peter did. He was a fisherman. So he was saying, I'm, re I'm leaving this. I'm, I'm going back to doing what I used to do. All right. Um, and there were at least six of his buddies, and I think all of them apostles, but there were at least six other ones that went fishing with Peter. So not only did he go fishing, but he led six other people back to saying, I'm going fishing too. Well, God, you know, Christ shows up on the shore and calls out to him and Peter realizes that it's Jesus up on the shore, and he's pretty upset at that point. He jumps off the boat and just swims in. Well, I brought up that day. It had only been maybe a month or two before this that Peter was with Christ, and Peter said, Christ, if that be you, let me walk to you. Well, why didn't he ask to walk on the water that day? Well, it's because of where he was at. He wasn't in the right place. There wasn't a chance that he was walking on the water that day. And so here, and if you just turn back, and it couldn't have been more than 60 days because we're now at 50 days since Christ rose. So you figure three days before that. So probably 53 days was when Peter denied Christ three times. All right. So he denies him three times publicly, says, I don't know the man, and then takes his buddies few weeks later, after he's seen Christ is risen and goes and says, I'm going fishing. I'm done with this. So doesn't sound like the resume, if I was picking the resume, doesn't sound like the resume of the guy that I would select to stand up on the day of Pentecost and proclaim the, you know, the message, the gospel to this group of people. But that's who Christ, that's who he picked. So it's Peter. So that's the backstory for it being Peter. But so anyway, Peter stands up and basically says, Hey, let me have your attention. 
goes on to say, I know some of you think we're drunk, but we're not. Pay attention here to what I say. So he tears, tears off to here, and what a great sermon. Uh, and and he, he preaches to them, and he preaches to them for a while, and then we get to kind of where our lesson is at today. So let me see if I can find my spot here. Does anybody have any comments with that before we get on into this? Okay. So let's, let's just pick it up here at verse 32. Now the lesson is 32 and 33 and then skips to 37. I may read another verse or two in there in the middle of that. Just kind of close in a little bit of that. This, so this is Peter, and he's been preaching to him now for a while, and he's kind of he's been talking about uh, David, and he's talking about Christ and Christ being crucified. Now keep in mind, this crew that he's talking with, a lot of them were in the crowd the day that Christ was crucified. May not have been every single one of them, but certainly you could say that the blood of Jesus was on their hands, a lot of them, all right? Really all of them, spiritually. Every one of them may not have been in the crowd that day, but it was a lot of them, all right? When I was lost, the blood of Christ was on my hands. I was just as guilty as one of the soldiers that drove the nails, okay? And, the, and they all were too, but even from a physical standpoint, a lot of these folks were in the crowd hollering, crucify him, crucify him. So, and he's telling them. So listen to this. This Jesus hath God raised up. So he's told them, hey, you know, Jesus came, and, and you all know he was crucified, and now he's to the point of, this Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. He's saying, he got up. We've all witnessed it. We've been around and seen him. They rolled the stone away. All right? Hard to believe, right? Yes, it's hard, hard for me to believe, and they're there physically, and it's probably hard for some of them to believe. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. So he's telling them, he got up, He's sitting at the right hand of God, and he has sent the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost is here upon us, and that's what you're feeling and seeing today. Now, let's make this point. There is a lot of different interpretations of the Holy Ghost and the day of Pentecost, okay? So let's say we have a great service today, and we leave here, and somebody says, how was service? Man, we had a great service. The choir got up and the spirit came through there like a roaring lion. And we just had a time and we saw some people get saved. And man, I'm glad the spirit showed up. Well, does that mean the spirit wasn't here last week? No, it ain't what it means. And so... Certainly, there's a focal point here on the Spirit being there. They had just lost Jesus. They had lost the person they'd been looking at physically. And it's easier 
we all know this, it's easier to look at somebody physically and something physically than it is to move by faith and feel that, all right? So it's, it's more focal to them right now. But the Spirit, you can read through the Scriptures, the Spirit was all the way back in the garden, and it has been with man throughout time. Different, different levels, different way that it leads, different way maybe that it might instruct us to do things, but the Spirit has been there, okay? Now, they were waiting, just like I said, we wait on revival, and God sends the Spirit, and then we try to move with that. They were waiting, and this was certainly a difficult time. They just lost the Savior who had been walking with them physically, so they're mourning from a natural standpoint, and they've lost what they've been looking at. But the Spirit is certainly moving here, and it moved on them in a strong, powerful way, all right? And it's leading them. And so Peter stands up and tells them, we had Christ here. He was crucified. He got up. Now he's back in heaven, and the Holy Spirit is here, and it's now leading us, all right? So let's look on down. I want to look at... Uh, Verse 36. Anybody have any comments before we read that? Okay, verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So there it is. I mean, he's laying it out for them. I mean, Paul, Peter here is the prosecutor, and there's a, there's a trial going on. I mean, he just told them, this fellow you crucified, he's the Messiah. That's what he's telling them. And a lot of them didn't realize that, I don't think, until this point right here. I don't think a lot of them realized what they had done. Um, some of them may have, but same as, as I was talking about me, when I was lost, Peter could have been making this same statement to me because I'm just as guilty and you're just as guilty of crucifying Christ as these people that were physically in the crowd here this day on the day of Pentecost. So now we get to the, uh, the lesson. So verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and... To the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? So what's that sound like? Again, sounds like what goes on here every week. We have service, and there's very few Sundays, very few services at all, but very few Sundays that the gospel doesn't go out and somebody's heart gets pricked, and we can all feel it because we can, if you're, where you're supposed to be and the church is moving, you can feel that conviction going on. And it pricks somebody's heart, and a lot of times a whole lot of somebody's. And they at that point have to make a decision, I did, of what are you going to do with this man named Jesus? All right? And a couple of times I was in service and my heart got pricked. And I said, essentially, I said, no. I said, well, not right now and maybe later, and I'm awful young. And, you know, we, now, 
I love the, the story about Elmer Martin, and it was told at his funeral just recently, but according to his testimony, he was only lost a few minutes, if I got it right. He, God got a hold of him, and he went to the altar that same service and got saved. It was only lost a few minutes, but he had to decide, what am I going to do with this man named Jesus, just like I did. I turned it away a few times and then later got dealt with again and made a best decision I ever made to accept that. So there, that's this whole crowd, and you know, there's a crowd of people here. Later in this, it says 3,000 souls got saved. Well, everybody there didn't get saved. If they had, it would have said that. So there was more than 3,000. I don't know how many there was that were there, but a lot of them accepted. But they start asking, what do we do? So listen to this. If you, if you could only have one verse in the whole Bible to repeat, you know, John 3.16 is a good one. Nothing wrong with that. But this one right here would be an awful good one too. Then Peter said unto them, repent. And be ye baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Wow. So if you only had one verse to try to tell the whole world, that one right there would be an awful good one. All right. So what's this mean here, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost? So is that something different than getting saved? I mean, do we get saved and then get baptized and do real good later on? God bless us and give us the Holy Ghost? I mean, that's a doctrine. It's the wrong doctrine, but it is a doctrine. So Peter is telling them the same thing. He's just saying it twice here. He's saying repent get baptized, get the Holy Ghost. He's, he's telling them it's all, it's all one action. So when I got saved, I repented. I had to repent in order to get that. I got baptized by fire, and I got the Holy Ghost all at the same time. All right. Well, what about people that don't seem to, don't ever say anything, and you don't ever get a witness out of them? What about them? Well, be honest, one of two things is the case, or maybe three. Um, one, they said they were saved, and they're not, all right? I think Judas fell into that category. I mean, I think the script, you know, again, there's some different thoughts on that, but I don't believe Judas was ever saved. I believe he followed along real close to Christ and acted like he was. I think we got people that are members of Lima Missionary Baptist that say they're saved and they're not. Not my place to judge them. All I can do is say, boy, I felt Mike stand up and sing and testify real good. I got a real good witness out of that. That's something that I can connect with. Or this little girl that came, uh, well, was it, it was your granddaughter that was here. Yeah, at the, at the revival that we had. Came up and, man, set me on fire. You know, 
I got a witness out of that. I ain't got no doubt about it. If I never get another witness out of anything she ever does, you know. Now, there's some people that come and, you know, pray, and I'll be up singing sometimes, and I get connected with them, and I know that they're, I mean, they don't have to say something, but I can, I get connected with them. But, hey, are there some people that have come here a long time that I've never got a witness out of? Sure are. I don't know if they're saved or not. I hope they are. Not my place to judge them. Um, but that spirit will bear witness with the church. And if, you know, if the spirit bearing witness with something, that's good. And if it's not, then, you know, you just got to hope that they are. So, but, uh, so the gift of the Holy Ghost, that, that happens when we get saved. All right. Now, what do, we, what do we do with it? Now, we, as we go on, we're going to see some really good instruction for how we ought to live after we get saved right in this lesson. What do we do with it? You know, if I get saved, join the church, God blesses me and I give a good testimony, come a few weeks, and then I'm not here for a year because I just choose not to. I come back. Am I going to be real spiritual when I come back? I mean, I might be in saying, hey, forgive me. I haven't been where I should be, but not going to be real spiritual. I mean, we've got to do some things in this flesh in order to keep it where it needs to be so God can move through our soul and that spirit can do what it needs to do. Any, anybody have any comments or any questions? I appreciate your attention and your prayers. So verse 39, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Who's God called? Carl, I know you're burnt up on that one. Who's God called? <laughs> Carl's sitting there grinning at me. Well, there's several scriptures that tell us that, you know, everybody gets an opportunity. Now, how's that happen? I don't know. Little bitty mind, you know, little bitty mind. But I believe it. I believe everybody gets a chance. And I believe if somebody don't get a chance, they're not held accountable. All right? I mean, if you got a ba little baby that, that dies, never made it to an age where that they were old enough to understand and God could call them, I don't believe that they're held accountable. So, you know, and what, what age is that? I don't know. Little bitty mind. But I, you know, trust that God's got it under control. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. You know, that's the message, same message that our preachers get up every week and again say now. You know, different words may not use this text, but uh, same thing. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. 
And that same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's some meeting, wasn't it? You know, this ought to be an encouragement. Uh, of course, that can't happen now. Right? I mean, something like that couldn't happen today, right? And Don said more. Well, I'm, I'm with Don. Why not? If it can't happen, why not? You know, I'll tell you why not. Little bitty mind. <laughs> you know, little bitty faith. So, and I'm pointing at myself, folks, so don't take offense. I'm just pointing at me. So, so 3,000 souls added to the church. So, there were 12, and probably more than 12, but, you know, I think there were a few other folks in addition to the apostles, but a small crowd, all right, small group. How many we got in here? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Got about 25 people in here, give or take, all right? So that's, I mean, that could have been the size of the crowd where they started off. So if we got this group... All right, and big congregation of unbelievers, and the spirit moves, and the gospel goes out, and at the end of the day, we got this same 25 people plus 3,000 more that now are with us. That's a pretty good day, you know, pretty good day. I think Peter felt better about that than he did the catch when God said, cast your net, when Christ said, cast your net out one more time and it broke the nets. Peter had to be remembering that. I know he did. He had to think back and say, man, this works with people too, just like he said it would. You know? And they, that's all of them, this 3,000 plus whoever, you know, however many there were to start, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, so are the again, you got to go back now. The apostles' doctrine here is Jesus Christ and him crucified and raised. Just what Peter preached earlier in this. The apostles aren't teaching and preaching, hey, us, us apostles are really something. Look at us. Give us a bunch of money and, you know, uh, they're, they're pointing to Christ, all right? So... The apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So I, I, earlier I said there's some really good uh, some doctrine here to tell us. So uh, continue steadfastly. You know, come to church. In other words, on down here it says they gathered pretty much daily in the temple. Uh, but, you know, come to church, listen, study. You know, hang around good godly people. That's what they're doing. You know, they were eating together, breaking of bread. I think this is actually literally physically, I think they were eating together. Now, there's a spiritual, you know, side to that too, but I think they were actually physically gathering together and doing, you know, spending a lot of time together and in prayer. You know, that takes me back to, I think it was Albert uh, Smith said, read your Bible and pray come to church and that's that's a pretty good start uh, 
towards living a Christian life. If you do those things daily, uh, or try to, you know, that's a pretty good start. So, anybody have any comments there? And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostle. And, uh, you know, I think when I read through this and read a couple of commentaries on it, I think it's uh, a burden. I think, I think they had concern for other people. Uh, I think they, they were looking at it. Remember when you were a young Christian and, and God is still that way, but it just, when you were a real young Christian and you come to church and, you know, be a good service, how exciting it was, but you get a burden for somebody and you, I mean, really, uh, be torn up and humble in prayer for them. I think that's where that's what it's describing here for these these three thousand for the whole church. I think that's where they were at. Um, and again, these wonders and signs and things done by the apostles, all pointing to Christ, not pointing to the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. They had a heart for everybody to be doing well. All right? All right. So we don't have to have a situation where we've got socialism. That's what this is describing, by the way. I mean, from an economic standpoint, this is socialism. They shared everything. Everybody all had the same thing. And that was fine. That was their heart. What this is describing is their heart. They wanted everybody to have good and be able to make it and do well. But we don't have to have socialism in order to have church. All right. But we do have to have that same heart towards everybody. And I, and I think that we do here. Uh, you know, when people have a need, we try to gather and help them. When people have a loss, we try to support that and, and pray for them and help them in that loss. Uh, if people have a financial need, very giving group and we try to help people in that so that's really what it's describing here is that heart that they had um, and they continued daily with one accord in the temple so with one accord easy to pass that up or, or to just skim over that but what do you think that means anybody have a comment on one accord is that important What do you think? Yeah. Bill said it makes you a lot stronger. So uh, I was trying to remember, I don't remember which one of the, one of my girls might have been Liz when she got married. Uh, you know, a lot of times they have the, the candle or the sand. That was the first time I had seen it. Other people may have seen it before, but they had uh, three or I think three strands that they wove together. So her and Marcel, instead of lighting a unity candle, they, they had it over here and they, they wove those cords together. And there's a scripture that, that says uh, a three, uh, I can't quote it exactly, but essentially three braids in a, in a strand are a lot stronger, not easily broken, I think is the terminology. Well, of course, it signifies each one of them and then Christ in their life, all right? But if we're in one accord and we're all woven together, 
with Christ being the center of that makes us a lot stronger. Uh, and certainly plenty of examples scripturally that if we you know, get off on our own individually in a corner, a lot easier for the devil to get to us than if we're together in a group. And so uh, the other thing about one accord is certainly it's all going the same direction, same goal. I mean, I think their goal here was the salvation of the people that were around them that weren't saved. So what should our goal be as a church today? Same thing, winning souls, okay? Now, we need to try to help each other just like they were doing, try to help each other. You know, somebody falls along the way, help them up. But that primary goal, and if we do that, it makes us all stronger, but our primary goal should ultimately be the salvation of, of our lost. Right. Any other comments? So let's go back and read twenty six or forty six here, I'm sorry. Forty six, verse forty six. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple. So they were, you know, daily they were going and having a meeting, breaking bread, so they were eating together, from house to house. Uh, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. I mean, again, it's it's just painting a really nice picture to me that they had one one goal and they were spending a lot of time together, praying, eating, visiting, all looking, trying to accomplish one thing, and that was the salvation of of the people around them, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So, I mean, it describes to me a really good revival that takes place there with this little church in Jerusalem. All right? Um, and if you think about it, you know, we can think back, and we don't have to go real far. Our most recent revival or ones before that, very similar, uh, and hopefully, you know, have more just like that in the future. Anybody have any comments? I appreciate Brother Carl giving me the opportunity. Uh, try to help him out occasionally when I can. Uh, so come back next Sunday and he'll be back at it. And, and, and uh, so thank you for your attention.